What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here. World Baseball Classic podcast preview podcast, which both of us, I, I think our excitement is through the roof right now. We are um, eagerly awaiting the arrival of the 2023 World Baseball Classic. We've had to wait a long time for this, Kyle. Too long for this, thanks to a, uh, I guess a global pandemic can be explained as a reason why. We had to delay the World Baseball Classic. But how excited are you right now? I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, I think back on my career, and I've been really, really fortunate to cover some really cool events. Uh, I went back and counted. I've covered five World Series now, six All-Star games, uh, a couple of NCAA basketball tournaments, previous jobs, uh, NBA playoffs, and seen some really cool things. But when I look back on my career in its totality, I truly think the World Baseball Classic, covering it in 2017, um, everything in San Diego and Los Angeles, uh, the quarterfinals, the se- the semis and the finals, was one of the top two highlights of my entire career. Uh, number one was covering the first World Series game at Wrigley Field since 1945. That that will always be number one. But, you know, it's just the excitement, the energy, the passion in the stands among the players you don't get that in regular season baseball in the major leagues. You honestly, it's it's more than you get in most postseason games I've covered. Not all, but a lot of them. The pride that these players carry and that the fans have for their national teams, you know, for the players wearing their country's name across their chest, it brings out something different. It's a different energy, a different excitement. It's a blast to cover. It's a blast to to, to watch, and it's a blast to just be a part of it. I, I am equally excited. It is to me it that one of the things that stands out with it is it is a truly unique event. And, and one of the reasons it is unique is it is the only international baseball event that does get some of the best. Obviously, we don't get all of the best, but there is no other event. Sorry, World Baseball Softball Confederation. You can talk Premier 12 all you want. You can talk <laughs> Olympics all you want. And talent-wise, those don't compare because they're done at times. They're done in schedules where major league players don't play. And if you don't have major league players, then you don't have a preeminent international baseball event. Now, obviously, as we'll talk through these teams, they didn't get everybody. They never get everybody. But they did get a lot. And to me, one of the most unique parts of this, though, is is, is that – So you will have games where you will have literally the best of the best. Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Yu Darvish, Shoei Otani, Roki Sasaki, Sandy Alcantara, all these guys. And then on the same field, in the same game, you will have college players or former minor leaguers who've retired or People from the Czech Republic who have a wide variety of actual jobs because, and that's actually, that's not a fault of the World Baseball Classic. 
that's one of the coolest things about the World Baseball Classic is, is that you have this wide array of talent on the same field in a game that matters, not in an exhibition, not, oh, look, it's cute that they're playing each other, but Kyle, they're playing each other in games where winner goes on, loser goes, you know, or likely goes home. Yeah, again, the, the urgency, the passion, the, the fight, the energy, that's what stood out. Again, you know, watching it just as a spectator from afar, in some cases, a fan in the stands, uh, 2006, 2009, when I was still uh, in high school and college, um, you, you certainly sensed it. But covering it start to finish in 2017, you know, seeing it every single day, two games a day, I mean, you saw the players on Puerto Rico bleaching their hair blonde. I mean, the energy they played with on the field that, that Yadi or Molina was showing. I mean, that doesn't even happen in major league regular season. The same thing with, with just so many, especially the Latin American teams, they got into it. But what really stood out about the 2017 world baseball classic is team USA going on its championship run. And I wrote about this at the time, you know, previous iterations of team USA, which had largely disappointed the WBC you know, it was Derek Jeter, David Wright, Chipper Jones, talented players, but guys who were definitely more stoic, not, not guys who were known for uh, exuding passion and energy. The 2017 team was totally different. You had Eric Hosmer ripping open his jersey like Superman. You had Nolan Arenado. You had Adam Jones. You had Marcus Stroman. They came with swagger. They came with fight. They came with energy, and it made a big difference. So adding Team USA into the fold, seeing the passion they played with, that just made it even more fun. And... Um, we've seen kind of a reverberation of that and how many more star players were willing to play in the 2023 world baseball classic for team USA, because they saw how much fun that 2017 was having. They saw the success they had and what it was like in the stands, those crowds. It's become a, a really appealing event for, for the top players, guys who have never done it before. Mike Trout, he saw that and said, I want to be a part of it. So for anyone who hasn't had a chance to go to a world baseball classic game or really dive into it, I, I really truly mean there's very little else like it. The only thing I can think of is the loudest World Series games I've, I've covered. I've been to some other World Series games that were way less energetic and passionate than some of the World Baseball Classic games. It's truly a remarkable event that there's really nothing else quite like in the baseball landscape, uh, certainly domestically, and, and you could argue worldwide, because as much as there's passion in the stands and Japan and uh, Dominican Winter League, you don't have the same amount of world-class players all playing each other at the same time. The other thing that does stand out with this is, is if you go back, I felt like in 06, it was the first one of these, but in 06, it was, it was truly a hidden gem in the U S now in Asia, they embraced it from day one to their credit. I would say to some extent, in parts of Latin America, they embraced it. But in the U.S., there was a kind of a, why are we doing this? We all know that the U.S. is the best at this. And, you know, not, I'm saying for the casual fan. And I think it was important to see what Japan did, what Cuba did in those first WBCs. And also just to see the talent that we were seeing on the field in those games that gave an indication of how significant this event. This is not a walkover event. This is a legit event with teams from different continents who can win it, which we've seen. I think the U.S. winning it was important for that because that was the point where 
you kind of, it went from being something where I would bring it up with baseball fan friends of mine and they'd be going, oh, you care about the World Baseball Classic? I don't feel like I have to do that as much anymore. Yeah. Maybe I still do a little bit, but but it's something where I feel like as this tournament arrives in 23, there is some anticipation for it in the U.S. as well as there has been everywhere else. And I think the format, I did want to ask you about this, Kyle, the change of the format for good and bad will add a little bit to that as well because once you get out of pool play, uh, if you... Uh, as if you're a fan who's like, I hated the one game wild card series. Well, have I got a tournament for you? Because this is going to be do or die for an awful lot of games. Yeah, certainly. Again, I go back to, you know, 2017 second round Petco park. It wasn't one and done. If you lost a game, you had another chance to still advance on to the semifinals formats it's an expanded tournament now it's it's a little more difficult you know you have to play one more game in pool play it's a longer road it's it's definitely going to be a, a more difficult road for every team involved just by sheer virtue of, of you have to play more games but i think the other thing too you talk about the talent on the field and it's funny i go back to i remember in 2009 uh, you know i was still in college i was home i think for spring break maybe and uh, cuba was playing game at petco park i went with my brother and I was watching a very wild, very hard-throwing young Cuban left-hander named Aroldis Chapman starting. He did not pitch well that day. I remember specifically his catcher was very, very unhappy with him. There was a lot of tension there. You could see it. But you just see the talent. And you know we've written about this extensively in all of our World Baseball Classic preview coverage. I encourage everyone to go check it out, baseballamerica.com. The World Baseball Classic was the first time domestic U.S. fans got to see on regular television and and with their own eyes in some cases. Daisuke Matsuzaka, Yu Darvish, Masahiro Tanaka, Kenta Maeda, Hisashi Iwakuma, Hunjin Ryu for Korea. So many guys. Oh, Aroldis Chapman, you know, Ioannis Cespedes, Yuli Gurriel. You know, all, all, all these guys, you got a chance to see them in the WBC before you got to see them come over to the U.S. And that's exciting. And, and there's so much talent worldwide I do think the WBC has helped, especially U.S. fans, in particular, gain appreciation for. There are major league players who are playing in Japan, who are playing in South Korea, who who were playing in Cuba, less so now, who just haven't come over yet because of the posting system or whatever rules are preventing them from doing so. Or, and or some who just that, never come over. Let me just interject. Some okay. Japanese players are like, Correct. the MPB's great baseball. I'm good here. Why would I ever move halfway around the world? when I can play great baseball here and make plenty of money doing it. So there's no question. I think that it has helped us fans gain a greater appreciation. And again, I, you mentioned 2017 kind of changing the narrative a little bit. There's no question. That was a pivot point in terms of what the world baseball classic means in the United States. Again, that us versus Dominican game, second round, the Adam Jones catch. Um, that was unbelievable. That entire game, but, Again, everything all the way through to the final, you know, well, the semifinals, that nail biter 2-1 win over Japan, and then Marcus Stroman showing out in the final against Puerto Rico. Again, it really changed everything for U.S. fans who could get into it, had a team they could get behind, had a winner they could get behind. And again, just talking to, you know, seeing the difference in, in players' attitudes toward the event, fans' attitudes, it's changed. It's, it's made it better. This event is growing both in terms of teams and popularity. It's great to see for the growth of the game globally. 
So that's what I want to ask you. You mentioned Team USA. Team USA are the defending champs. I would say the majority of our listeners, probably majority, uh, you know, are are, are USA baseball fans. Um, So I'll start with asking that question, which is, okay, they won it in 17. Very impressive fashion. Is this team built to, to do it again? I will say they are certainly a contender. If you look at what is the top tier in this field, it's the Dominican Republic, Japan, and Team USA. I would not put Team USA atop of that group of three, but they're in that tier to the point that if they won, I don't think anyone would say it was a huge, great shock. Uh, They're certainly going to be really, really competitive. The thing when you look at this group is Team USA, the lineup top to bottom is as good as any teams in the event, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, it is top to bottom and elite lineup. There are guys who are going to be on the bench who are all-stars. That happened in 2017. Paul Goldschmidt had a tough time getting at bats, and he was one of the best players in baseball, but there were other hitters who were just really hot. So this lineup can score with anybody. The concern is going to be I on think the, the lineup has everything they got asked for, did it? Like, I don't, I'd struggle to come up with guys who you say, how did they not get so and so? Right. It's, it's, it's a truly dynamic, explosive lineup that can pile up runs in a hurry. Where you have some concern is on the starting pitching side. And even when the rosters first came out, you looked at it and said, this is mostly an older group of starting pitchers. There's not a ton of depth here. And then you had Clayton Kershaw drop out. You had Nestor Cortez drop out. So the quality of the pitching has come down a little bit. Now, keep in mind, this was also true in 2017. Team USA did not have an elite pitching staff. They had guys step up. Tanner Roark threw a big game for them. And, you know, Tanner Roark's been a perfectly fine starter, or at least was over the course of his career, but no one would confuse him for Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer in their primes. So, this starting pitching group is is definitely where you could see something going wrong. There's not a lot of depth. It's an older group. It's not the best of the best. Um, and it does not really match up when you match up their rotation versus Japan's rotation, which we'll talk about, or to a degree, even the Dominican's rotation. So that's where there's a little hesitation. At the same time, Team USA can beat anyone in this field 11 to 8 if they have to. So they are absolutely a championship contender. I wouldn't say they're the singular favorite, but they're in the tier of favorites. Mike, the thing you would say about for everything I just said about the USA baseball lineup, where you're like, you can go position by position and go, no, they got their guy. They got their guy. They got their guy. They got the point where Mookie Betts could play second base in some games because, well, they have so many good outfielders that they've, they've talked about the possibility of that. That's how good they are. And then you go to the pitching staff and you say, if you said, give me your top 10 pitchers, U.S. pitchers, starting pitchers that you would want to have on this team, you would go 0 for 10, in my opinion. You probably go 0 for 15. You might go 0 for 20 before you get to a guy. Nothing against Adam Wainwright, who's had an incredible career, but he's also at the very tail end of that career, and in his first start, it's spring, it's early, but he was topping out at 86. That's, you know, there's there are concerns there. Nothing against Brady Singer. Nothing against any of these guys, but the starting pitching is the, 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 the bullpen is 
quite what you would expect. You have a Devin Williams. You have a Ryan Presley. You have guys there who you can really say, this is what you're looking for. But when it comes to that starting rotation, if USA Baseball is not going to win this thing, I do feel like that's the part, that's the weakness that couldn't come back to hurt them. Is that a reasonable assessment? Absolutely. And again, there are certainly going to be games where they are not rolling out the best starting pitcher that day. You look at what some of the quarterfinals matchups could be. The Dominicans are out there throwing Sandy Alcantara. If you know Puerto Rico is throwing Jose Barrios or, or Marcus Stroman, who we just mentioned was Team USA's yeah. big game ace in 2017, he's now playing for Puerto Rico. There are going to be games where you look at the starting pitching matchup and Team USA is at a disadvantage. Again, they have the offense to overcome that if need be. So I think that if something were to go wrong, you know, could it be one of those days where they're facing a Sandy Alcantara and he's just mowing everyone down and Team USA is not getting the start they need from a Brady Singer? They have Lance Lynn on the team. He's still effective. But again, there's certainly a scenario where that happens, but... Again, you can also argue this was kind of the case in 2017 as well, Mm -hmm. and they still made it work. So I don't want to sit here and completely say, oh, the starting pitching, there's just not enough here, and that's going to sink them because it's not that dissimilar from what they had in 2017 either. The, The other interesting thing with this USA baseball team is they've taken a different tack when it comes to their manager. Mark DeRosa, um, former major leaguer, former World Baseball Classic Team USA player. He's played in this tournament, but he has not managed at the MLB level. He has not managed at the minor league level. Traditionally, did a little story about this. Traditionally, the USA baseball manager for these major international events is someone who has a World Series champion, you know, World Series ring as an MLB manager, usually has over a 1,000 career wins, often has over as closer to 2000 career wins. Kyle, how much of a, obviously I I don't, I'm not going to say how much of an off the board selection is this the way I just laid that out, but how much of a risk is this for a USA baseball that they are going very, you know, well-spoken like he's on MLB network. He's stayed in touch with the game. He's very fired up to do this, but how much of a risk is it for the USA baseball to go with Mark DeRosa? It's an enormous risk. Talk about what is something that could sink Team USA's hopes. I actually think this is the number one thing more than their starting pitching staff. Again, Mark DeRosa, he played. He's a very good analyst. He knows what it takes to motivate players. Those are all great things. But he's never managed or coached a game at the professional level. Anything. Majors, minors, nothing. And you cannot simulate being in that moment where your starting pitchers running out of gas, but you want to get them through one or two more guys. Do you pull them? Do you bring in the reliever? Even little things. Hey, when do I get the reliever warmed up? We've seen major league managers struggle with that guys with thousands of games of experience, not getting guys warmed up in time. There's a lot of in-game strategy and, and tactics that you can't simulate guys who have been big league managers for hundreds or thousands of games even struggle with sometimes. And we've seen, especially in an event like this, where there's a very, very, very short leash and very, very little margin for error, managerial blunders can absolutely sink a team. I go back to 2017. Omar Vizquel 
it was honestly one of the worst managerial showings I've ever seen from anyone at any level. Very clearly did not know who his players were and what they were capable of. And on top of that, consistently brought in the wrong guys in the wrong situations. It made no sense. And it just absolutely crushed Venezuela. I wrote about it at the time. And that was a, a team every bit as talented as this U.S. team is. To me, this is where there's risk. I think that you can argue Team USA will be at a managerial disadvantage in almost any game it plays because of it. You know, you go back to, okay, say they get to the second round, which they should and absolutely will. They face Venezuela. Omar Lopez is one of the most respected coaches in big league baseball. He's been a coach at the international level. He's coached in the major leagues. He's widely seen as a future manager. He's done this. He's run a team. He's managed in the minors. Rodney Linares, the manager for the Dominican Republic, again, big league coach, was a longtime minor league manager, had a lot of success, has been there, has done this. You go look at Japan, Hideki Kuriyama, wildly successful manager with Nippon Ham Fighters. He was Shohei Otani's manager in Japan when they were there. They have that relationship. All these guys have been there. They understand the pressure cooker, having to make snap judgments, having to make quick decisions, being that tactician and having to make adjustments on the flight a moment's notice. And you just can't simulate that experience. And I think that's where Team USA is taking an enormous risk here. And look, maybe Mark DeRosa handles it beautifully and establishes, hey, I can do this. And it launches him onto a future coaching and managerial career. That's a possibility. But you can't simulate some experiences. And this is one where Team USA objectively is going to be at a disadvantage. Their manager does not have the same experiences in running a game, especially games that matter that any other of the main contenders in the field do. If you're going to mention international baseball and managers not knowing the talent, you know, who, who they had on their team, <laughs> I, I think I'm contractually obligated because I've mentioned it too often, but I will go back to 2003 Olympic qualifier USA baseball versus Mexico. Frank Robinson managing team USA. Joe Maurer is on the team. Joe Maurer is not asked to start the game. Joe Maurer was the best player on that team. Not asked to start. They they don't start him. Then in the ninth inning, they do pinch hit Joe Maurer. They bring him in with the tying run on base, and they ask him to bunt. And I, I, I'm off the top of my head. I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm not remembering exactly who was the guy who got the third, you know, who got the third out. But I promise you this. They were way worse than Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer was the best hitter on that team, but they did not put him in the right opportunity. So, okay, sorry, I digress, but I do want to dive in. This is Pool C. We're jumping in with Pool C. So we have basically how this tournament goes. Pool C, five teams, two advance. Pool D, five teams, two advance. Pool A, Pool B. A faces B, C faces D after they advance out of pool play, and then that's when you get to the semifinals and finals. Pool C, the good news for Team USA and Mark DeRosa, Pool C is not a pool that USA Baseball should have any trouble advancing out of. If you look at Team USA's lineup, they should get one of the two spots that advances out of that five-team pool. But Kyle, saying that, who do you look at? Who's the other team that you expect the most favored to come out of that pool? Yeah, look, I mean, not only should Team USA advance out of this pool, they should go undefeated in the pool, you know, win the pool, no questions asked. Um, Team USA got a really, really favorable pool setup here. 
Um, this should be a cakewalk for them to get into the quarterfinals. That's where they might start facing some real challenges. I'm going to be watching Canada and Mexico. I, I think both of these two teams have the potential to take second place in this pool and advance. And notably as Mexico, generally speaking in international play, Mexican teams have featured a, a, you know some good starting pitchers and just not a lot in the lineup. You know, you had, you had Adrian and Edgar Gonzalez playing into their late 30s and I think even maybe early 40s for, for Team Mexico. And they were surrounded by a couple minor leaguers, a couple guys who were playing in the Mexican League. It was not a very competitive lineup in the context of who some other teams were throwing out there, big leaguers in their prime. And that's starting to change a little bit. We've seen a wave of Mexican position players start to emerge in recent years and, and become successful big leaguers. Alejandro Kirk, who unfortunately uh, for Mexico pulled out, uh, not unfortunately for him, had his first child. Congratulations to him. But uh, for Team Mexico, it was unfortunate. Um, but you have Luis Urias, you have Isak Paredes, you know, Randy Rosarana, who's Cuban, but established residency in Mexico is going to play for the team. So you kind of look up and down this Mexico lineup and you say they have the bats now to support a, a pretty good pitching staff led by Julio Urias, who led the National League in ERA last year. And then I look at Canada, you know, we've seen it for a couple of years. There's been, you know, it's kind of the sprinkling of, hey, there's a good young Canadian player here, a good young Canadian player there. You know, the Cal Quantos of the world, the Tyler O'Neills of the world, the Josh Naylors of the world, you know, making their way up the minors into the big leagues. And look at this roster now. It's not very deep in terms of the pitching staff. They still got a lot of guys who are no longer active major leaguers. But there, there's an interesting mix where if they're throwing the right guy on the right day in the right matchup, and a couple of their, their hitters who are, are talented, they're young, but they're talented. And then you have Freddie Freeman, of course, get hot, come up with some big hits. I can absolutely see Canada, again, they should beat Great Britain. They should beat Columbia. And again, if they've got the right guy on the mound and things line up well for them, I can see them beating Mexico in kind of a winner-take-all game. So I'm really looking at those two teams as who would be the second team to advance out of this pool. I think Mexico, personally, I think Mexico is a strong favorite over Canada. I just think, like you you mentioned, like the depth here, the Mexican team lineup, I, I don't want to just make it as simple as big leaguers versus minor leaguers, but there is a certain extent of that. Mexico has more big leaguers. But beyond that, like when I look at Team Canada, take Freddie Freeman out of it. The rest of that infield, I'm really concerned defensively. They have a lot of guys who are going to be asked to do what I would describe as at their upper limits. When we talk about like Edward Julian is a really good hitter. There are questions about him defensively. Uh, Abraham Toro has always been considered a good hitter. There are questions defensively. Otto Lopez is a good defender, but he's really more of a second baseman and he's going to probably have to play a lot of shortstop for team Canada. Like I look at them and I just say, and then you throw in, that once you get past the Cal Quantras like that, you very quickly get into pitching the contact guys and you're not necessarily going to have a great fit. I'll say that I do think that the, the sneaky one here to me is Colombia. I'm not saying that Colombia is going to beat Canada, but it wouldn't floor me if it happened. Now, the interesting thing that's going to be going on here strategy-wise is which teams are going to gear up for which games? Like the logical thing for everyone in pool C to do is to throw your worst lineup, your worst pitchers against team USA. 
like Team USA should run, you know, should like it should be horrendous because you don't have to beat Team USA to advance out of this pool. But if you say when you talk about Canada, but when you talk about Colombia, you know, when you talk about uh the you know, they've got Jose Quintana, they've got Naval Crismont, they've got Danis Correa, they've got they've got Julio Tehran is still around. They have <laughs> arms where I do look at them as well and say, you know, on the right day, their lineup's not incredible, but you've got guys there who are upper level minor league guys mixed in with some big leaguers. That those two, like that game is going to be a really interesting one to me. Great Britain is the one that, hey, if they win a game at this tournament, that's a win. Play, that's a that's a that's a really impressive performance. Being here is very impressive. Um, you know, getting out of the, you know, and and they've got again, it's not like they don't have a lineup that has some guys, but their pitching staff ranges from this guy pitched at Brown to this guy pitched in the minors in most cases. And we're talking about the other teams like this guy's won a lot of games in the majors. So there is a little bit of a distinction between them. I, I will say, and again, yeah, go ahead. To, to, to be clear, again, is Mexico the favorite in terms of, you know, the second team to come out of it? Absolutely. There's no two ways about it. Again, you look at this rotation of Julio Urias, Jose Arquiti. They have Taiwan Walker pitching for them. They've got Patrick Sandoval pitching for them as well, two Americans, but uh, with uh, Mexican heritage who are going to play for them. So, there's no question they're a deeper team, better team. It's more of a, could I see a scenario where Canada's goes out, Quantrill starts, Matt Brash comes in and shoves for two innings and they get one inning from someone else. Edward Julian, Freddie Freeman, Abraham Toro, Tyler O'Neill come up with some big hits. O'Neill and Freeman hit some big homers and that's enough. I think it can happen. So I, I, I think for me, if I were to pick it, yes. Team USA wins the pool, Mexico second. Canada third, but I do think Canada has a chance to beat Mexico if the pitching lines up right for them. I, my bold prediction is, is it would get, it would not shock me if Colombia is right there with Canada for, for third in this. Uh, I do think Mexico and U.S. advance, but I would put Colombia as having a, I don't think Colombia has a shot to advance out, but a, crazier things have happened. But I do think that they, I, again, I, I, I've been impressed with, with kind of what they have, uh, you know, on this team. So that's pool C about how U S is going to advance out of should advance out of pool C with no problem at all. Nothing like that can be said in pool D because this, we always talk about the world cup. This is the, the group of death. This is your group of death right here. Dominican Republic is, I would say you would have to say the favorite for this, but this is truly a pool Kyle where someone is going to go home unhappy who really could in a different scenario have gone all the way to the, uh, to the finals, right? You have three of the five best teams in this tournament, all in this pool with Venezuela, Puerto Rico, and the Dominican Republic. All three of these teams, you just look at the talent on the rosters. You can make a case that they are championship contenders. Again, the Dominican Republic enters as the favorite in this tournament. Puerto Rico was the runners-up last time up, and they've added Marcus Stroman to their pitching staff. Venezuela, you know, historically they've disappointed, but you look at just the talent on this roster, they're also stacked and have the talent to, to beat teams in multiple and ways, either, you know, bash them with their lineup or shut them down with the pitching staff. 
all and, three and if of I can these... interject with that, if I could yeah. just on, on Venezuela real quick, the thing they also have is, is they are where the U.S. was in 17. You mentioned the Omar Vizquel-led mm-hmm. 17 team. That yeah. Venezuelan team, they have something to prove, much like World mm-hmm. Bank, the U.S. had in, in 17, I feel like, as well. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're right. I mean, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, all three of these teams are stacked. All three of these teams can win this pool. And that's where... You know, we talk about the Dominican Republic being the best team in this field. They could also go home after the first round. It is absolutely possible for Venezuela and Puerto Rico to beat the Dominican Republic. If they each do that, the DR has two losses. I mean, they're pretty much done. They're they're praying for some tiebreakers. And again, I wouldn't call that an upset if Venezuela beat the Dominican in one game, if Puerto Rico beat the Dominican in one game. These teams are really, really, really good I mean, this is going to be the most entertaining pool. When you talk about pool play, obviously a lot of eyes are going to be on Team USA, how they're doing out in Phoenix. But from a pure amount of talent on the field and entertainment standpoint, Pool D is where it's at. It's pretty ridiculous. And by the way, it's in Miami where obviously there's a very, very large Latin population, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Dominican. That atmosphere is going to be wild. (laughs) And the thing about it is, is Pool D, like Israel is also in this in Nicaragua. Now, again, with Nicaragua, they have some good players on it, but this is, you see a lot of, I, I don't, we're not belittling when we say there are the happy to be here teams. Nicaragua has not had a lot of history in international, you know, top level international competitions. This is, this is an accomplishment for them to be here in many ways. For Israel, Israel has does now have a little bit of history on the international, you know, on the international stage. If they were in pool C, we'd be talking about them as, you know, this team's kind of feisty, you know, this team could surprise a little bit. They've shown it before they're in pool D I, I, as feisty as they may be. I, I don't like the chances nearly as much because like what you just said, they're in a pool where, there are three teams who could win this whole thing in this pool and only two are going to walk out of it. Yeah. I mean, if Israel was in pool a, which is essentially what they kind of were in 2017, they would probably advance out of it. And that's, that's just the nature of the draws here. They're in a pool where they're just surrounded by really, really, really deep teams with major league all-stars up and down the, the roster. I think you look at the Dominican and say they're the favorites. They've been here. They've 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 won a World Baseball Classic before in 2013. And what's interesting about them this time around is you know we talked about Team USA, how great lineup, solid bullpen, you know starting rotation can be a little iffy. That's been what previous Dominican Republic teams have been: loaded lineup, hard throwing bullpen, starting rotation. You didn't feel great about. Well, that's changed now. Jeff Ponce wrote uh, a feature for us. It's uh, going up online tomorrow at Baseball America about the rise of Dominican starting pitchers. For a long time, there were some, but there weren't a ton of great Dominican starters. A lot of times, Dominican pitchers were, were kind of just thrust into relief, failure or not. But that's starting to change. You have Sandy Alcantara, who won the Cy Young Award last year. Um, Luis Castillo is not participating, but he, he kind of represents again. You know, Dominican starters are starting to come up. You look at this this starting rotation now. You have Christian Javier in there, who started a pair of no-hitters last year, including one in the World Series. 
this Dominican lineup is stacked. This bullpen has a ton of gas. And now they've got a really good starting rotation on top of it. This is the most complete and well-rounded team in this tournament. That's why they're the favorites. And I still think you go into this saying, yeah, I'm picking them to advance out of here. But Venezuela and Puerto Rico, again, if they beat them, I wouldn't call it an enormous upset. It wouldn't be miracle on ice or miracle on grass or anything like that. This infield's absurd. The, oh, the yeah. Republic infield is like, like, I've seen a lot of things that like pencil in, like, well, Jeremy Pena's at shortstop. I'm like, I, I don't know about that. I He may be their third best shortstop on this team. I don't know. Because when I say that, it's like, this is a team that also has, that has him, that has Willie Adamas, that has Wander Franco, that has John Segura, has Manny Machado, has Vlad Jr., has Devers. Who's your third baseman? The answer is yes. You've got Devers. It, you got, it's uh, Machado. It's, it's Manny Machado. But yes, I mean, this outfield, it's going to be Eloy Jimenez, Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto. The infield, I mean, take your pick. I mean, Manny Machado will be at third base. I would imagine... Willie Adamas will be at short. Second, maybe it's Gene Segura. No, it's probably Ketel Marte, actually. First base, Vlad well, Guerrero Franco, Jr. who also plays second. Right, and on your bench, I mean, Rafael Devers is your DH. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty If, if it's not Nelson ridiculous. Cruz. And, right, and then you have to find out bats for Nelson Cruz, too, who's also the team's general manager. I mean, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. And then, as I mentioned, again, you, you just look at this starting rotation. Starts with Sandy Alcantara. You have Christian Javier. You also have Luis Garcia, speaking of Astros. You have Johnny Cueto. And you also have, again, just that that stable of hard-throwing relievers who can come in and just blow it by you. You have Gregory Soto. You have Rafael Montero. You have Jose Leclerc. You have Carlos Estevez. You have Camilo Duvall. You have Brian Abreu. I mean, you have so, you have Genesis Cabrera, who can bring it from the left side. You have so many guys. Oh, and Diego Castillo. Sorry, I forgot about him. Throws 100. Um, there's so much power, so much velo on the staff. And again, it's, it's, it's a really, really ridiculously loaded team and it's hard to pick against them even as loaded as the pool is. The, the nightmare scenario to me, again, I'm not trying to, we're, we're trying to cover all of the teams, but I will have a little bit us centric because again, I think most of our listenership, the nightmare team scenario for team USA is the Dominican Republic advances out of pool D as the number two seed in pool D. Like they lose a game along the way, they come out. And so you could end up facing off in that next round in a one, you know, you're not even in the semis yet. And you could be the number one seed in pool C facing the number two seed in pool D. And you say, um, okay, so it's Sandy Alcantara on the mound for the Dominican Republic with a spot in the semifinals on the line. Yeah. And, and again, that's where, you know, team USA getting into the quarterfinals or getting into the second round, it's going to be tough because whether they face the Dominicans, whether they face Venezuela, whether they face Puerto Rico, it's not a situation where you can look at it and say, Oh, they have a, a clear, advantage they are clearly the best team here they should have no problems in this yeah i mean this 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 right side of the bracket is stacked there, there's no other way to say it and i don't think anyone should go into this expecting oh yeah we've got this all four of those teams can beat each other on any given day and 
I think the energy level is going to be extremely high. And again, that's one other thing. These quarterfinals are going to be taking place in Miami, which, yes, while it's on U.S. soil, that's a home field advantage edge for the Latin American teams. That's something that could play a big, big role here. We saw the passion of Puerto Rico's crowd, how that elevated them last time around in the 2017 WBC. Team USA had a lot of people behind them in San Diego and Los Angeles. I think that home field advantage is another edge in favor of, again, whether it's the Dominican or Puerto Rico or Venezuela or whoever Team USA has to face. If Team USA is out in the second round or the quarterfinals, I should say, I wouldn't call that a shocker or an upset. That's just the nature of how good this right side of the bracket is, how good Pool D is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And we're back. So, on the Pool C, Pool D side, USA's got a pretty clear path to the quarterfinals, we feel like. But in the quarterfinals, anything can happen. You take this over to the other side. Pool A and Pool B. And I feel like the two best teams in this on this side of the bracket are both in the same pool, which is uh, Korea and Japan in Pool B. Team I feel most comfortable, most confident is going to make it to the semifinals out of the entire field is Team Japan because whether they're better than Team USA or the Dominican or Venezuela or Puerto Rico, they're not going to have to face any of those teams at that point. Yeah, we've talked about this extensively, and I wrote about it for a feature story up online at BaseballAmerica.com right now, and it'll be in this upcoming issue of the magazine. Team Japan has been the kings of this event since its inception. They won it in 2006. They won it in 2009. They reached the semis in 2013, the semis in 2017. And talking to Hideki Kuriyama, their manager back at the winter meetings, you know, I asked him about the increased participation of major leaguers in this year's event. Um, in 2013, 
Team Japan didn't have a single major leaguer on its active roster, or actually an active major leaguer on its roster. 2017, they only had one. They were really more trying to find the best players in NPB. And Kuryama told me that their semifinal loss to Team USA in 2017, as close as it was, kind of made them rethink their strategy. They built a roster this year with the idea that we are building a team that can beat Team USA. That was their primary motivating factor in who they selected and how they kind of constructed the roster. This is probably the most talented roster Japan has ever brought to the World Baseball Classic. And a big part of that is they are bringing two legitimate major league aces to the tournament. Current major league aces. They've had guys who are future aces, but maybe weren't there yet. Again, 2009, Yu Darvish and Masahiro Tanaka were on the team, um, but they weren't there yet. Now, Darvish and Otani are two of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. Those are their top two starters. Say Suzuki just bowed out with an injury, but you still have a lot of hitters on here who, A, are in the Major Leagues. You know, they brought in Lars Nupar, who became the first non-Japanese native ever chosen for the team. His mother's Japanese. They're bringing a lot of guys who either project to come to MLB like Munitaka Murakami or guys like you mentioned who have the talent to play in Major League Baseball and potentially start in Major League Baseball but have chosen to stay in Japan. This is a ridiculously loaded team and we'll talk about the pitching staff more but your overarching point Jade is correct that this is the team that has the clearest path to the semifinals. And we talked about the strength of Team USA's lineup. We talked about the strength of the Dominican Republic all around, Venezuela, Puerto Rico. Team Japan can beat any of them. And they don't need the right guy to start on the right day because they have a lot of right guys. And that's what separates them in this tournament. The the amount of talent on this roster, everyone here stateside is going to see it very, very soon. This is a team that could compete in Major League Baseball right now. If you put it together, you know, one of the things talking to all the ex-big leaders who have gone over to Japan, they've always said, you know, the top guys over there could absolutely play in MLB. The difference is kind of in the depth. There's not as many guys once you get past the top layer or two. This is the top layer of players from Japan. NPB guys, MLB guys, this team would fare very, very well, most likely, in a Major League season. This team is absolutely stacked, and it's going to be – Really, really, really fun to watch them, especially once they get to the semis in Miami and get to face Team USA, the Dominican, Venezuela, Puerto Rico. Crazy thing about that. Everything you said about you, Darvish, and Shoei Otani, I I mean, if you're listening to this, you know how good they are. That said, if it gets to the semifinals or the finals and Team Japan is facing Team USA or Team Dominican, Especially, but either of those teams, I that's not the guy that I want on the mound because as good as those guys are, as good as you Darvish is, and he's good, he's a veteran and all that, but these big leaguers, they've seen you Darvish. They have some understanding of who you Darvish is. To me, what Japan has that could be their little ace in the hole here is they've got a Roki Sasaki They've got a Yoshinobu Yamamoto who they've got guys who have that level of talent, admittedly younger, but who Team USA has never, no Team USA hitter has ever seen these guys. And by the way, like, and they do it different ways, but like either of them, 
it's like that first inning or two that you're facing them, it's going to be like, okay, this is a little different. Okay, let me get up to speed. And that, I, I always feel like a pitcher. We talk about the third order, third time through the order penalty. The first time you ever see a pitcher, I feel like the pitcher has even more advantage. And they hear you are talking about two elite level talents who no one on the USA, no one on the Dominican team, no one on Venezuelan team has ever seen it. Yeah. So I talked about this team, Japan would fare pretty well in a major league season. If you just threw it out there and, and had it play 162 games, the core of that. And again, I, this is not hyperbole. This is, I'm dead serious about this. Mm-hmm. They are bringing a world series caliber rotation to the world baseball classic. If any World Series team rolled out Shohei Otani and Yu Darvish as your numbers one and two starters, you'd be like, yeah, that, that tracks. But it's not just those two guys. You have Roki Sasaki, who is the latest Japanese pitching phenom, retired 52 straight batters at one point last year, 21 years old, fastball 97 to 100, a splitter that will just destroy your soul. Pretty good slider too. Oh, and outstanding command. He would be the number one pick in the draft this year, unquestionably, and would have been the number one pick in most of the last 10 drafts post Harper Strasburg. Abby Rutschman would have been a close call, but, but this is one of the best pitching prospects, frankly, to come out in the last 10 years, anywhere in the world. He projects to be a number one starter in MLB scouts across baseball. Have him. This guy will be as long as he stays healthy. When he comes over a number one starter. So now you have three number one starter types atop your rotation. Their fourth starter, potentially, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who has won back-to-back Sawamura Awards. That's the Japanese equivalent of the Sayang Award. He's won the last two Sayang Awards, led MPB in strikeouts last year, sits 93-96 with a deep arsenal of secondaries, and projects to be a number two starter in Major League Baseball. They've got three number ones and a number two. That's what Japan is bringing to this World Baseball Classic. And, I mean, this is a rotation that, again, this is a World Series caliber rotation and I mean, they can shut down anyone. The Dominican Republic lineup, they can do it. Team USA's lineup, they can do it. Venezuela's lineup, they can do it. These guys are the types of pitchers that can do that. And it's going to be a tremendously fun night watching whether it's Otani and Darvish or if it's Yamamoto and Sasaki facing the Dominican lineup, facing Mike Trout and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and Mookie Betts. And it's going to be a relatively even matchup and a hell of a showdown. Things that I'm fascinated about that one, when you mentioned about uh, Yamamoto winning the Sawamura award, one thing I want to note to everyone is, is that is the Japanese equivalent of Cy Young, but they do something a little different there. They have these veteran ex pitchers and all who vote on it and all this, right? But they have years where they just look at it and say, no one met our standard this year. No Sawamura award this year, moving on. And Yamamoto has won it back-to-back years because to do so, it's not just that you have to be, like, they have criteria and durability is also one of those criteria. Roki Sazaki can't win the Saramura Award yet. He's just not, the way that they're treating him because he's a young arm, he doesn't get to show the durability that he needs to to do so, even in a year where he threw a perfect game and carried a second perfect game until they pulled him from the game. But the other thing that I'm fascinated with this pitching staff is, when we talk about the unknown, the things you don't see, it's Japanese baseball is a little different, right? We talk about Yamamoto. 
Yamamoto's delivery, people are going to freak out about this because it's an incredibly efficient lower half, but it's also like I stand on the mound, I'm looking, I'm looking, and now I explode home with almost no delivery. It's freakish. But then you have guys like like Ryoji Kuribayashi, and you've got all these relievers who what they have is split after split after split. And if you're a, again, if you're a, if you're a North American hitter, you're going to see, if you face team Japan, I promise you, you will face more splitters more split finger fastballs than you have ever seen in your MLB career, because they love to throw them. And like as good as Roki Sasaki's is, which I, I ran the numbers against his splitter last year, which sat 89, had a 69% strike rate, a 57% swing rate, and a 51% swing and miss rate, 106, 160, 165 against. I don't know if that's the best splitter on the team because then you've got Curry Bayashi, who opponents hit 096, 132, 110. And again, this is a team that also has hitters. I do think that Suzuki's loss of say of Suzuki is well, going to hurt because if you, to me, Kyle, if I look at this team, the outfield is the one place where I just have a little bit of a question about how good their outfield is. Yeah, losing Say Suzuki was a big blow. And I do think that, you know, I mentioned Team USA and, and the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and Puerto Rico. They they potentially could very well have trouble with Japan's pitching staff, but it could also be a low-scoring game. I go back to that 2017 semifinal. Team USA won two to one. And it was because of a rare Japanese miscue defensively on, on a wet field on a rainy night in Dodger Stadium. So there are scenarios where, yeah, you could be looking at a one nothing game, a 2-1 game, and it's just going to come down to who executes at the right time on the mound. But again, you mentioned that that bullpen and, you know, Kerr Biyashi. They also have Tase Ota, who can pump 98-99 out of the back of the bullpen. It's, they've got Velo, too. It, it's all about this pitching staff. And again, I go back to this team was built – with the idea that we are building a team that can beat Team USA. That's how they constructed this team. That was their overriding strategy. And they've built a team that, again, has the arms to shut down that lineup. And there's enough power in here where, whether it's Murakami, who broke Sadaharu O's record for home runs by a Japanese-born player last year, and still in his early 20s. This kid is still getting better. He's going to come over and, and do very well for himself. You have a lot of other guys behind him who are big, big power hitters as well. You've got, we talked about, again, you still have Lars Newbar. You still have Masataki Yoshida. Oh, by the way, Shohei Otani is going to hit for them. You have speedsters, and you also have a really good defense. This is a team that has a lot of the best defenders in NPB on it. I mean, they're not going to make many mistakes. They can hit for average. They can steal bases. They can hit balls 450 feet. And their pitching staff is just relentless. Again, I keep repeating it because I think it's, it's going to be fun watching the world's reaction to Roki Sasaki's introduction to, you know, a wider U.S. audience. It's going to be fun watching the reaction to Yoshinobu Yamamoto's introduction to a wider U.S. audience. Sasaki in particular, I have a feeling he's going to do some things that's going to set the Internet ablaze and be like, yeah, that, that's how good this guy is. And the other thing that they have, there's one other advantage they have here. And again, this is nothing against this, just the reality of the differences of this. This does still mean more to Team Japan than it does to Team USA. 
It just does. It forever will. And what I mean by that is, is that we've seen with Team USA, it is nothing against the players, the organization, the manager, anything like that. But it is has to be worked around a major league schedule. It is how do we impact the major league teams as little as we can. So right now, as we record this, the Team USA players and really the Team Dominican players and the Team Venezuela players and all that are not yet gathered as a team, even though the tournament's not that far away. They are trying to limit as much as they can the disruption to them working with their major league teams. Samurai Japan, that is not a concern. Samurai Japan has been gathered together for quite a while, and every night before I go to bed, I can hop on YouTube and watch as they stream the five-hour practice. And I do mean five hours every day as Samurai Japan practices with, you know, in and out BP, live BP, everything. They are working as a team, and they have been working as a team for literally weeks more than what you will see the North American teams do for this tournament. And to go back to what you said, Kyle, it just goes back to kind of pride that team Japan has in this team is something that is just hard to equate in the U S because again, at the end of the day, when the U S has players like they, again, they have to figure out, let's limit the disruption and you hear right now all these MLB GMs saying, yeah, this guy may go out, but it's now he's been limited a little bit. So maybe we have to hold it. Maybe we're going to try to convince to hold him back. That's not happening with Team Japan, is it? No. No. And again, it, it comes down to this. For Team Japan, the World Baseball Classic is the priority. It is the number one priority for players in the U.S. As much as we talked about, they love taking part in it. It's something that has grown in popularity and there's all this passion behind it. Their priority is still the major league season. That is still going to be the number one priority of the teams and, and the players themselves for the most part. Um, that absolutely is a little something extra for team Japan. The WBC is priority number one, and that does have an effect. So we'll get to Korea, the other top team in pool B, but to finish up the rest of pool B, we have Australia, China, and the Czech Republic. This is, this is a, I mean, th there is such a clear delineation here between the top two teams and everyone else. Australia yeah. is in a, sits here in a middle ground of its own. And then we have China and the Czech Republic. We have two, and again, I'm not knocking them, but two happy to be here teams in this one, in that China has been playing in international tournaments for quite a while. However, they have very few opportunities for their players to get better in between. China has played almost nowhere internationally since COVID hit. There are almost no players on this team who were part of their 2017 World Baseball Classic team. But that said, the Czech Republic, who again, qualified, got here impressively, all that, they have very little international top-level experience as well, right, Kyle? Yeah, the Czech Republic is kind of the fun Cinderella story of the tournament. So the Czech Republic is guys who hold regular day jobs and then play in the Czech Extraliga, which is their top league, on the weekends. Their best pitcher, Martin Schneider, he's a firefighter. 
Their center fielder is a high school geography teacher. Their manager is the leading neurologist in his town. I mean, it's really just this kind of incredible fun Cinderella story that they even qualified for this. And they really are just happy to be here. We talked about, and again, it's a great story, but it's also not the same level of ability as Japan or Korea or a lot of other teams in this field, to say the least. I talked about how Pool C had, or I'm sorry, how Pool D has three of the five best teams in the tournament. Pool B realistically has three of the five worst teams in the tournament. China, the Czech Republic, and Australia is really, really, really down. It's kind of surprising how rough their roster is. This is clear cut. Japan's one, South Korea's two, and, and Korea's a pretty good team too. I think rightfully so. A lot of the attention has been placed on Team Japan in terms of teams uh, in the Far East who are going to be playing out there to open the tournament. But this is a really, really good Korean lineup too that isn't getting a lot of attention. Ha Song Kim is returning to play for them. Padres shortstop. They got Tommy Edmond, who's half Korean from the Cardinals. Got a couple of other guys who have big league experience and, you know, did okay over here. Hunsu Kim, et cetera. And they've got some really good players who play in the KBO that either have had MLB interest in the past or have future MLB interest. Sung Bum Na was very highly regarded. He had a really poorly timed knee injury that kind of sapped his value, but he's a good hitter. You have Jung-Hoo Lee, who we talk about all these standouts for Team Japan, Sasaki, Yamamoto, Murakami, who will eventually come over. Lee's a really good player in his own right. People have liked him really since he debuted as an 18-year-old in the KBO, set a rookie record for hits. His dad's a KBO legend, won the MVP award last year. He can really, really, really hit. Just a beautiful, pure left-handed swing. And he's someone who's going to come over after this season and, and probably do pretty well for himself as kind of a true potential two-way center fielder who can hit and play center and run. So this is a really good team too. And I actually think there's a very real scenario here where Japan and South Korea both advance to the semis because if Japan wins Pool B, they'll face the runner-up in Pool A. They should win that, no problem, and advance the semis. South Korea is the number two team out of Pool B. They can beat the winner of Pool A. You look at that pool, Korea is the best I'd team favor of all. Them too. So, I mean, I think there's a real chance we're going to get both Japan and South Korea through to the semis to play in Miami. And that's going to be a lot of fun because those are two teams full of a lot of really good players that most American fans never get to see in person. That's how I think this is going to play out. Again, both these teams should have no problem with the rest of the pool. The head-to-head matchup between them is going to be fun. Japan is the better team. But I do think we'll see both of them in the semifinals. I think that's a very, very realistic scenario. The the difference, the thing I'll be interested to see with this Korean team on the pitching side is they have a lot of, like, if when I talk about splitter, splitter, splitter for Japan, Korea is, South Korea is everyone throws everything. Right. It's Which, a and I funk think, kitchen sink type of staff, yes. <laughs> now, I, there are guys, Woo Suk Go, Woo Young Jung, both sit 94. But you have a lot of guys here who... They're going to be able to give different looks. They do also have a Wu Jung Kim. Basically, if you imagine Dustin May's hair on a Korean pitcher, that's Wu Jung Kim. Uh, but they have a lot of guys who throw fastball, slider, change, curve, and a cutter or a split. And so, again, especially the first time that anyone in the U.S. is going to see these guys will be the semis. There's going to be advanced scouting. There's going to be prep, all that. But these guys are going to be, if they get there, difficult 
they don't throw as hard as Japan. They don't throw as hard really as, as Cuba or the U S in most cases, but a lot of guys who don't a pitch and do it differently. They've got, you know, all these different looks, different arm angles and multiple pitches to go with, as you said, a pretty good lineup that does have some, some stars in it. I agree completely with you. You know, as far as that's pool B it's Japan and Korea and here's, here are your tickets. And by the way, Make sure your passports are in order to get to the U.S. because we expect to see you there. But they will have to come through Pool A, which is the widest open of all the pools because it's Taiwan, which for international purposes is always referred to as Chinese Taipei, the Netherlands, Cuba, Italy, and Panama. Uh, Who you got, Kyle? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, first reaction, look, the Netherlands has – pretty consistently been a good competitive team in this tournament they reached the semifinals last time around and and they took puerto rico to extra innings they were not far off from reaching the finals the biggest thing with them is they've always relied on this really really good infield it was xander bogarts and jerkson profar and andrelton simmons and d-day gregorius and jonathan scope well some of these guys have kind of aged out past their prime a little bit. Andrelton Simmons and Didi Gregorius are no longer who they were in their primes. You still have Xander Bogarts. You still have Jonathan Scope. But this is not as good of a Dutch infield as we've seen in years past. A lot of the same faces, just their ability level has fallen off. They've gotten older. They've aged out a little bit. And you still have Vladimir Ballantin, who's going to hit some balls very, very, very far, like he always does. There's a lot of familiar faces on here. There is a lot of experience here. A lot of guys who have pitched in the WBC, played the WBC, aren't going to be overwhelmed by it, and, and have beaten teams that on paper that have more talent. But again, you look at this pitching staff, it's a lot of guys from yesteryear. It's Jair Jurgens, it's Sharon Marti. Again, guys who were good in the 2017 WBC, and, and the same things applied there too. So you know, we'll see. I, I think you kind of give the Netherlands the benefit of the doubt and give them the edge. I think what's going to be the most interesting storyline is Cuba. Obviously, anyone who's followed international baseball for any length of time knows Cuba was the preeminent power in international baseball. The Olympics, the early versions of the World Baseball Classic, Cuba was number one. And what has happened, as we've written about extensively over the years, is players have left Cuba at earlier and earlier ages. So what's remaining has gotten significantly worse over the years. And we've seen Cuban baseball really, really decline. They did not qualify for the Tokyo Olympics. The idea that Cuba didn't qualify for an Olympics would have seemed mind-blowing to anyone for, you know, the first 20 years that baseball was in the Olympics. But, and the other thing is, not only did they qualify, they weren't close. They were not really competitive at Premier 12. So they had two chances to qualify and failed both times and weren't close both times. Premier 12, they were not particularly close. Uh, the Americas qualifier in Florida, I was there. Again, they just weren't that competitive. They, they weren't close. And what they've done is they have now allowed, for the first time, expats, guys who have left, to come play for the national team in an attempt to try and reverse this decline. Again, there's there's some political machinations that had to happen. Some teams gave approvals. So they didn't get everyone, obviously. But you get a Luis Robert. You get a Yohan Moncada. You get better, more talented players than what you've had the last few runs through the international circuit. 
it has a chance to help them turn back upward. I think you look at the weakness of the pool and the fact that they're receiving this infusion of big league talent that could get Cuba onto the quarterfinals. Now, would I pick them to beat Japan? Certainly not. Would I pick them to beat South Korea? Also probably not. But again, if you throw the right pitchers on the right days, you know, Robert Moncada get a hold of a 88 mile an hour fastball from Hyun John Yang. I could see it happening. So I think this is going to be an opportunity for Cuba to reestablish itself on an international stage. They're not going to win the tournament. They're not one of the best teams in the tournament. But after a steady decline, this is their chance to t- turn things back upward. I, I think that there's two other things for Cuba. You, you mentioned one, having some of the big leaguers helps. But although it is notable how few of the, like, if you said, put together a all-Cuban team, this is not that <laughs> this, this is not that. And, you know, so there's not that, but the other thing they do have is Cuba. One of Cuba's problems has been, they just don't have the power arms that they used to have. I mean, right. this is a team that I, I go back to, you know, again, you go back to Oh six Oh nine and it was a role as Chapman, but he, it wasn't, it wasn't just him, you know, I mean, Pedro Lazo for, I feel like for 15 years, <laughs> it was like, he was both the Cuban Lee Smith, but also like the Cuban, like Justin Verlander at one point. Like he did, but like he re- he started, then he relieved. You, you had Ariel Pastano, who basically was going to drive everyone the 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 craziest catcher ever from the standpoint of like he was going to start a brawl almost every inning with how he just kind of jotted everybody. But what they do have now, you look at the pitchers they have who are spending their time in Japan. You look yeah. at Levon Monello, you look at Rydell Martinez, you look at Yariel Rodriguez. These are guys, these are NPB all-stars in multiple cases. So these are guys who are performing at the top level in Japan and who are 95, 96 miles an hour sitting, can touch a little higher than that, but sitting in those mid-90s. So I think that the key thing for this Cuban team is in the international tournaments, you may hear now and get a little, you know, I understand everyone hearing this and going 95. That's not that big a deal now <laughs> in international baseball. It can be because there are games. There are teams you will face that'll have guys whose bats just are not fast enough to catch up to 95. And they're going to face some of those teams in their pool. And that gives them, a, I, I think a pretty decent shot out of the pool, like you said, and if it all breaks right, you know, if it's, if they, if they get the right matchup, they can't beat Japan. It's one game. So I guess you can't say never, but they shouldn't beat Japan, but you go beyond that on the right day. Maybe they, they could get, they could beat someone else. Um, Who else? If again, this is the wide open pool. I don't I don't expect Taiwan to make it out of this, but it wouldn't I wouldn't follow, you know. I, I do think again the advantage of having a real full season professional league in your country, nothing against Serie A in Italy, nothing against that, but they don't play nearly as many games. They play on the weekends, they don't play nearly as many games as they do in Taiwan, the CPBL. I, anyone else you think got a good shot to come out? How wide open is it in your mind? 
Yeah, I, I think the team I'm looking at is Italy. Again, this is not a great team. It's not a loaded team. But you look at the pool they're in. They have enough big leaguers on this team where you could say, yeah, they can go out and can this team win three games? Can they beat Cuba on the right day? Can they beat the Dutch on the right day? Absolutely. I mean, you're going to roll out a lineup that includes Vinny Pasquantino. That includes David Fletcher. You know, guys like Sal Frelick and Dominic Fletcher who have performed at AAA, which in fairness, is a higher level of baseball than a lot of what these guys playing in the Netherlands, the Dutch major league are playing. Some of the leftover guys in Cuba that, that, you know, they're not playing the highest caliber of baseball right now. I mean, the guys in AAA are certainly seeing better stuff than what a lot of guys are seeing in Serie Nacional right now. They've got four or five guys in the lineup who can swing a little bit. And I think given the weakness of the pool as a whole, I could absolutely see a scenario where Italy comes out and and maybe finishes second and gets into the quarterfinals. Now that would be their absolute ceiling, but Andre Pallante goes out and gives them a good start. I don't even know if he's going to start for them. He probably should, given who else is on this team. I don't know what Matt Harvey can realistically give you, but I mean, you have Matt Festa, who's a good reliever. You have Sam Gavilio, who's got big league time. You have Mitchell Stumpa, who showed some pretty good stuff in the minors last year. You have Stephen Woods. Like, you know, Joe Biagini's on this team. I mean, you have enough arms to be like, yeah, they, they can put together a good game or two. And enough bats, you know, guys with big league experience, Nicky Lopez, who I didn't even mention. Not that he's a great hitter, but in the context of this tournament, he's a big leaguer. He knows what it looks like, and he can play at that level. I, I think Italy has a shot to advance. I wouldn't say they'll get past the quarters by any means, but they're the team I'm watching. I, I think Netherlands, Cuba, and Italy, two of those three will be who advances. Which two of the three it will be, I have absolutely no idea. It's really kind of a toss-up. I, I, and again, I, I do say keep an eye also on Chinese Taiwan. Um, mainly, they, they've got six pitchers who sit 90 or harder. Like, again, that's not exactly a overwhelming, uh, you know, but that's with all of whom throw multiple pitches, all of whom mix it up. But what I mean by that is, is the only reason I saw, I highlight that is, is that there are a lot of teams in this tournament who aren't going to be able to say that, like, especially when you get to the lower levels of the, uh, uh, of the pools and they have a whole lot of, I would describe them as good hitters. Like there's not a ton of power on this team. I don't feel like uh, Lee Lynn, maybe, you know, a couple of guys, but, but I do think that they have some athletes. I, I like, uh, Jensen Quo, like what he does in the outfield, had fun watching him on Synergy. This is kind of a, a center fielder who loves to leave his feet, but he's also a bottom of the order hitter. Um, they've got, I mean, they've got three center fielders on this team, some of whom will probably play in the corners, which again, that gives you that idea. They're going to be able to, to cover a lot of ground out there. They've got a number of athletic middle infielders on this team. The catchers are good defenders who can't hit. But I do think that overall, like, again, in this pool that's wide open, they could do something. And then it's probably worth this also, you know, just making a note that that with Panama, I don't want to say that this is that Panama's the fits the, oh, they're just happy to be here team because they do have a little bit more than that, right? Like, again, especially in this pool, this is a pool where they have, I mean, they've got, you know, they've got a Javi Guerra, they've got a Randall Delgado, who's a name you probably, you know, Jaime Berea. Like, they've got enough here 
Christian Betancourt, Jonathan Aruz, you know, Alan Cordoba, they, Ruben Tejada. Like, there's enough here that this could be a pool where everyone loses. Like, <laughs> it's a five-team pool where there may not be someone who goes 4-0. and And at that point, it can get real messy. And who may advance? Maybe someone gets tripped up by one of these teams. And that may be the difference between moving on and not. It should be fascinating. This should be a fascinating pool from that standpoint because this is where I, I guess you gear up for Cuba or you gear up for the Netherlands. But like, how do you when you have an a, a your best pitcher? Who do you send them against? Because this isn't like okay, we're going to save them. Let's don't put them up against Japan. We'll get snowed today. This is a pool where you don't even necessarily know for sure who is your biggest rival to get out of this pool. There's no question. This is the most balanced pool. I'm probably a little bit lighter on Taiwan and Panama than you are. However, there is no question that when you look at, okay, who is the quote unquote bottom feeder in each pool? I mean, Panama is significantly better than the worst team in pool. C. you know, Panama versus Great Britain, Panama is significantly better. Panama versus Nicaragua in pool D, Panama is significantly better. Pool B, Panama is better than the three bottom teams in there, Australia, China, and the Czech Republic. Panama so, and Australia, that'd be a good game. I'll, I'll give you Australia. Like, they're probably better in Australia, but at least Australia, like China and Czech Republic, they may win by eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, again, I, I think that there's no question that they are more competitive as kind of the quote-unquote bottom team in the pool than a lot of other bottom teams. And I probably am feeling more it'll come out of Netherlands, Cuba, Italy, the, t- the two who advance. But... Yes, could Panama or Taiwan pull an upset? And I think this could be the pool where we uh, we end up with some crazy tiebreakers determining who advances. There's mm-hmm. no question. It's much more evenly spread out from a talent perspective than the other pools are. So, okay. So that means we've, we've kind of covered this a little bit, but now we're going to put you on the spot, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> right now, with without a game yet being played, and I will say – Both of us are going to reserve the right. Like these rosters keep changing, unfortunately. So we we may feel good about something today and we may come to this weekend and go, oh, oh, so three pitchers for team, you know, this team are not going. Okay. um, Changes what I think about this. I mean, we've seen this already since they announced the rosters and it's like, well, Team USA's pitching does have Clayton Kershaw and Nestor Cortez. And it's like, no, they don't. We're seeing this every day. We're seeing Alejandro Kirk. We're seeing decisions still being made. But as we understand it, as of Thursday afternoon, March 2nd, I'm putting the marker down. Who, who's your team to win it? <sighs> I've been going back and forth in my head between the Dominican Republic and Japan. If the Dominicans didn't have such a, a crazy loaded pool to begin with, I'd feel better about it. Because, I again, it is very, very, very possible and conceivable that Venezuela and Puerto Rico beats them. And they're done in the first round. And I wouldn't call that an enormous upset in a vacuum, each of those teams beating them. But the total package of, oh, my gosh, the Dominicans aren't getting out of the first round, that would be an upset. On the other side of the coin, Japan losing Seiya Suzuki, that hurts. He was going to be a middle-of-the-order stalwart for them who made their outfield better. <sighs> I, I'm, I'm going to ride Japan's pitching staff. I, I think that when you look at just 
the quality of arms they have and the fact that there is that lack of familiarity that they can potentially take advantage of. Again, I, I would probably still want to throw Shohei Otani in the finals or Yu Darvish in the finals if I got a chance, but they at least have that option. I think that's going to give them an edge. So I'm picking Japan loosely, but there's a big, big, big part of me that wants to pick the Dominicans. If that opening pool wasn't so brutal, I would probably lean them. So I'm being too much. I'm using too much kind of the the odds here. Like I, to me, it's Japan or Team USA, and mainly for what exactly you just said, which is as much as I think the Dominican Republic have a roster that's every bit as good, but they just have, they can be eliminated in the first round in pool play. Where I look at Japan, Japan cannot be eliminated in pool play. Like I mean, I mean they. They can. Will it happen? No. <laughs> no I, I think everyone involved with Samurai Japan would have to resign if they <laughs> did not advance out of pool play. Like, there's, I, I cannot construct a logical argument for how they will lose. They would have to lose to China and the and Australia or Australia and the Czech Republic. It just, I can't come, I can't get there. I, I but, agree. I, I agree. I, I do not see any scenario where that actually happens. <laughs> so, but that being said, so, okay, that's just pool play, but the U S and Japan are going to get out of pool play almost without fail. I can't say that about the Dominican Republic. I also, that also means the Dominican Republic, not that it's going to wear them out. It's a few games, but even if they make it, they have to gear up. This may help them a little bit, but they have competitive first-round games. Team USA, Team Japan are going to have games in their first rounds, which we're going to – the first week we're going to hear – one of the first things we're going to hear is, is how uncompetitive these games are because there will be <laughs> some non-competitive games because of the reality of the nature of it. So when I look at that, I actually – I, I – I, I do think because of all that, like I probably go Japan also right now, just because their pitching staff, for all we talk about the pitch limits and all this, by the time you get to the semifinals, you're going to let be late, able to have guys go pretty deep in games. And yes, they all have good bullpens, but everyone Japan faces, I feel like Japan's going to have at least as equal, if not the advantage on the pitching side in the semifinals. And so that's probably where I go team Japan. Yeah, no, again, this is, this is going to be a tremendously fun tournament. We talked about Japan team USA and the Dominican Republic as kind of this top three tier. Venezuela has the talent to win this thing. Puerto Rico has the talent Mm -hmm. to win this thing. There are a lot of really good teams and really good players in this event. And I know I'm looking forward to it again, covering the 2017 WBC was one of the highlights of my professional career. I'll be covering this one start to finish as well. I'm starting out in Phoenix. I'll be there March 11th to 15th covering pool C and then uh, heading out to Miami for uh, the quarter semis and the championship game. So I've got you covered here at BA for all all the listeners out there. Um, It's going to be a, a tremendous amount of fun. I can't wait to see the energy in the stadiums, especially once you get to Miami and two of Puerto Rico, Venezuela, or the Dominican are, are all playing in do-or-die games. 
it's going to be a blast. And, and I think this has a chance. Again, I talk about the 2017 World Baseball Classic being a, a turning point, being kind of a pivotal moment in terms of the WBC becoming a greater part of the U.S. baseball consciousness, players, fans, everyone. I think this one has a chance to elevate it even more just with the quality of the players participating and how much talent is going to be on the field. The other thing about this, just looking ahead. So, I mean, this is going to start. So next week we start on March 8th. This starts with pool a, and I'm already enjoy. I'm, I'm already prepping for the sleep deprivation that's coming because <laughs> those games are in the middle of the night. If you're in the U S basically, but Mine, uh, mine are actually not too bad. The The first game for me is uh, 8 p.m. Pacific on, uh, I think, it, yeah, I think it's actually the 7th here. It's weird with the timing. So there is a way from the West Coast that some of these aren't brutal. But yes, there are plenty of others that are brutal. <laughs> but the thing that to me most excites me is once we get to the quarterfinals, quarterfinal game one, and again, it's March 15th in Tokyo. So we'll have to work that out. But March 15th, Tokyo. March 16th, Tokyo. Quarterfinals in Miami, March 17th, March 18th. Semifinals in Miami, March 19th, March 20th. Championship game, March 21st. Less than two weeks from when we record this, we're going to basically have one incredible game a day. Loser goes home every day for a week. And that is so far more enjoyable than spring training. Nothing against spring training. It's going to be great. And that's going to be, we're just going to be every day. It's like, boom, another one, another one, another one, another one. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Kyle, I'm jealous because he's going to be there, but I'll be watching every, uh, pretty much every pitch uh, from uh, BA, uh, I guess now can't say headquarters anymore, but the Raleigh-Durham area where BA is, uh, you know, has long been. So for Kyle, I'm JJ. We're, we hope you enjoy this. We'll probably be potting more at some point, uh, you know, because as best we can, we'll probably, we, we might even analyze, we'll get to the, as Kyle's traveling, but we'll, we'll get, we'll have pool A and pool B wrapping up well before pool C and pool T done. We'll see what we can do. But for Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.